Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio uh, and a really cool one coming up today talking all things NBL with the uh, CEO of um, NBL, J- um, Justin Nelson. Um, we'll be talking, yes, basketball, basketball and more basketball and maybe some other things on the way because he seems to have had an interesting or a different journey definitely to sports administration than a lot of people I've talked to. How are you doing, sir? Hey, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. And uh, managed to uh, get some sleep recently because it's been, been very, very busy trying to get things organised to uh, get things up and running. Yeah, look, been long days. And um, look, it's great that we've got uh, something up and running. I, I think the big message um, in everything out of what we've been through is it's a, it's a changed world. It's not just changed for basketball. It's changed for every sport and every business and, and every part of our lives. So... You know, sport is just a small part of it. It's an important part of it. It's, it's something that people enjoy. Um, but we've definitely had to go about uh, changing how we do things. And we think we're, we've, you know, come up with a really good model to to do what we can in the circumstances that we're in. Uh, absolutely. But before we get on to that, let's go, let's, let's wind it all the way back to when it was very, very different. What was your first sporting memory? Oh, well, it's a good question. I'm, I'm Melbourne born and bred, so... You know, I'm I'm pretty biased in saying that I um I've lived the majority of my life in the sports capital of the world. It's an amazing um, city to grow up in because you are you basically thrust into sport being a religion. Um, as a Melbourneian, you are uh, uh, you widely recognise um, sport as being a part of everyday life. Um, whether that's uh, competing or, or watching or listening or hearing or just being around other family members and, and, and friends who um, are involved in sport. It's, a, it's an incredible culture. And um, I think about what I do these days and what I've done through my career. Um, I'm very lucky to have uh, come out of a city like Melbourne. First sporting memory, um, but I, love, I love AFL, as a lot of people in the southern states of Australia do. Um, I grew up. Um, supporting a team by the name of South Melbourne, who played in the VFL as it was then, 
and they were the first team um, to be moved to an interstate location. They're now known as the Sydney Swans. Oh. And that was back in 1982. And that was essentially the start of, of what moved from the Victorian Football League to the AFL as we know it today. And I just remember as a kid, it was heartbreaking, um, you know, seeing my team get up and move to another city and other friends that I had who barracked the South Melbourne, you know, got off got off the, uh, the South Melbourne bandwagon and supported other teams. And I stuck with them. And I think that that loyalty in sport was something that... Um, has uh, has stayed with me across across my um, my sporting career. I'm a very loyal person in terms of you know being dedicated to the job at hand, um, and just that transformation of South Melbourne to, to the Sydney Swans. I'm still with them today, and, and uh, still get as um, as happy as I can when we win, and as angry as I can when we lose. It's it's a true sports fan relationship. But I think about before that though. Um, I just remember. Before you just go before that, you are actually uh, moving one of your, so one of your teams has moved this year from Tasmania to Auckland um, in the the Huskies. So you're hoping to still retain and, and see them working, retaining their Tasmanian fans as well. Oh look, I'd, I'd love it if they can. I, I know how hard it is to see a team get up and move. I suppose the difference for the Huskies is they were in Tasmania for one year, and South Melbourne had been in in Melbourne for a hundred years, so <laughs> it's a little bit different. Um, but I, you know, if I go back before that that South Melbourne memory, I, I think just like every other kid, you know, going out and um, seeing sport, you know, grassroots, being around the local area, you know, maybe going to a big game of football you know with with uh with my dad for instance um all of those things invoke great memories i've i've got a um a real passion for motorsport and um you know i can remember as a youngster you know six seven years of age my earliest sporting memories was getting up on that annual sunday of bathurst and sitting in front of the tv from 7 a.m till 6 p.m and literally just glued to the screen and watching greats like Peter Brock and, and Dick Johnson, and they're probably my earliest memories. I think um, in sport, it was a, it was a wonderful time during the seventies and eighties. And as I've learned through my career, you know, the sporting world has become um, just an enormous business, and, and that's been the biggest change for me. Yeah, it has. I, mean, I, I was in Melbourne for the Lions tour, uh, what about six, seven years ago now? Uh, sure, maybe yeah, about that. Uh, and uh, just seeing all the AFL posts, even in primary school or preschools uh, so in in, in, yeah, in nurseries called kindergartens was just uh was was amazing to to see that yeah so i'm not surprised afl was high up that list of your early early sporting memories one of the unique things about afl is they have this uh, they have this membership base and across the 18 teams there's something like 1.2 million members so that's 1.2 million people who hand over a couple of hundred dollars every year to their favourite AFL team to become a member. I mean, that is that's before you go to games. It's before you buy merchandise. It's it's just incredible the connection that that sport has built, the fandom, the the tribal nature of people giving money to belong to those colours. Um, it's quite unique. It is, and for a sport that uh, you say it has evolved a lot. It, we used to yeah, they used to have their own grounds, but now they share a lot of a lot of the Melbourne teams anyway share share a couple of grounds so yeah. it's no longer like I'm going to my local my, my, my local team is based here 
um, two streets away, all the teams are based out of basically the MCG and um, is it the Etihad, I think. Um, that's it's called uh, Marvel Stadium these days, but yeah, it's changed its names a few times, yeah. And so most of the teams are based out of those two. And as, so, yes, it, it, it's amazing how they've managed to keep their regional identities within Melbourne and yet they don't actually play there anymore. So, yeah, there's, there's, there's been some, a lot of hard work done there. But I also read somewhere that if you play a sport, you're 60% more likely, as, as a kid, you're 60% more likely to become a supporter of the sport um, as an adult. Oh, no, absolutely no doubt about that. And that's why grassroots participation is so important. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm as dedicated to grassroots participation as the next person. Um, you know, I was around basketball um, a lot when I was a, when I was a youngster playing and, and, and refereeing and coaching and just being a part of that basketball culture um, back in the 80s. Um, playing on outdoor courts on asphalt, um, you know, just those sorts of memories. Every time you fell over in a game of basketball back when I was a kid, it would end up in a in a graze and blood coming out of your knees or your elbows or something like that. So it's definitely different these days. Um, but there, look, there's no doubt if if you if you are thrust into sport from an early age, it sticks with you for life, and that's why you know the great. Um, the great medal or the great tag that I'll always, you know, have pinned to me somewhere is the fact that I'm born and bred in, in Melbourne. You know, that's my home place and you are born into sport. It's the way the city is. It's the culture that you're brought up with. And so, okay. So, so you, you've been involved in, you know, you, you used to play, uh, as you said, referee um, basketball as a, in your younger days. Yeah, I did. It's how I earned a little bit of money on the side and, um, you know, I enjoyed it. It was, it was good for fitness and, and certainly um, got me in and around the game and, and um, knowing a fair bit. And look, to, to be honest, I think, I think my involvement in basketball more than anything else, I mean, I played football and played cricket and, you know, those sorts of things. And I think my involvement in basketball for me personally was probably the thing that saved me from going, um, you know, down a pretty bad path at one stage when I was a youngster in, in my teenage years. I, I left school when I was 14, so that's that's year nine. Um, went out and, and worked full-time, and um, not a lot of people know, but I, I became a father for the first time at 17 years of age. Um, and by the time I was 37, I had five grandkids I think at that stage oh, no, so I had my first grandchild sorry not five but 37 I had my first grandchild by the time I turned 37 and today I have uh, I have six grandchildren but um, in those early days you know that, that, that sort of 14 when I left school you know through to 17 becoming a father which you know very very young um, obviously um, sport was a great saviour there's no doubt about that you know I, I could have easily you know during the the, the mid-80s gone off the rails, you know, as, as a teenager. And um, I'm thankful that I had sport around me and that involvement really kept me out of some some bad environments or bad situations with the wrong people. And um, for me, I look back on, on my teenage years in sport as, as being a saviour, for sure. It's, it's helped me a lot. So that, as far as a career in sport goes, um, looking at your LinkedIn profile, it kicks off in around about 91. So what were you... So were you, were you working in the, in the 80s in, in sport or were you working on, on, in other areas? Before no, you it's, 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 a really interesting, it's a really interesting story we're about to delve into. Um, I, uh, when I left school, I became a baker by trade. So, so I've actually got a trade behind me. 
Um, I don't do much cooking these days. My wife doesn't like me uh, like me talking about my baking days because it hasn't extended into uh, into my adult years. So I'm actually a baker by trade, and when I was twenty, um, and by that time I had I had uh, two children. By the time I was twenty, um, uh, I I had a, a, a friend um, who I'd met through football, through Aussie Rules football, local football. And we got to know each other pretty well. And he was actually commentating football on the radio. And um, he, he spoke to me uh, and, and invited me to go along and be the, the third wheel on a, on a Saturday afternoon on the radio, the, you know, the, the special comments person, because the person they normally had wasn't available. And um, I declined and said, no, 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 look, that's not for me. I'll make an idiot of myself and, you know, I'm no, thank you. All the best. Find somebody else. And I remember he came back to me about a day or two later and just said, look, I can't find anybody else. Could you please help out just this once? You know, we, we, we would. And I said, yeah, look, okay. All right. I'll, I'll go in into this radio box overlooking this football ground. And I said, whatever you do, just don't throw to me. Don't rely on me. I'm just here to, to help you out, but don't expect anything from me. Look, and the story ends up that the following Monday, um, I went into the media full-time and the following Saturday, I was the head commentator of their broadcast team. Um, It was just something that I could do. It was just, um, I had no idea that I had the ability to to do it. I had no no idea about the media or or my ability to watch a game and and commentate a game. but you know, forty-eight hours later, I'm I'm changing my entire career. I'm working in the media full time, and a week later, I'm I'm that lead comment, I'm that head commentator of something. A week ago, I said, you know, don't expect a thing from me. And, and when I think back, and, and, I remember and being mates, and your mate suddenly unemployed. Unemployed. <laughs> um, I, and look, he always you know calls it his claim to fame. Here, he just found this person that could do it. Um, when I, when I think back about it to, to, you know, my young years, I remember sort of being, you know, nine or ten years of age and running around in the street with a footy, with, with a football, an Aussie rules football, by myself, kicking it to myself and handballing it to myself. And I would be actually calling the players, the stars of, of the game, you know, my Sydney Swans or my South Melbourne um, stars. And I'd, I'd be calling their names, you know, handballing it and kicking and when you think back about it now, you know, to that situation I was thrust into in the in the radio game, um, yeah, you know, it was just something I was able to do and it, it came naturally. And then I was fortunate enough to carve out 25 years on radio and TV and all those sorts of things back in Australia. So covering AFL and the old National Soccer League before it became the A-League, I spent seven years travelling around Australia commentating the, the National Soccer League and motorsport and AFL and basketball and um, and that was it. The baking days were over. I was uh, full-time into sport and into the media at the age of 20. Amazing. And uh, not having to get up at uh, four o'clock in the morning or whatever to do the baking, you could uh, lie in as well. Um, I, I, I can see why, I can see the appeal. Um, yeah. <laughs> having talked, I mean, I've, uh, I don't know if you come across a guy called Nick Heath, who's a rugby commentator out of the UK, but he does a podcast called um, Q commentator, and they delve into the talk to different commentators, delves into the science or, or the the art of commentating. 
uh, and there is it's not as easy uh well i was going to say it's not as easy as it looks but you managed to do it in, in, in one day but there is uh, there is an art to it of, of actually learning being able to a identify players which is a big piece of it um, absolutely uh, and also being of building yourself up and present it's too it's easy to to get too excited too early um with sport and i guess you, again he talks about the different types of, of commentary like in a, a bit like the the um like a horse race it's a start to finish whereas a, a an AFL, so a bit like your motorsport will be a start to finish. You kind of have a, you know, what, where to peak. Whereas with the AFL, your football, you have to learn the different tempo of yeah. the game, etc. So whilst, uh, yeah, it, it's it's very impressive to, to be able to pick it up, um, even if you have been doing it in your head or to yourself for, 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 for many years. Yeah, look, it's a really good point. I always found that... Um one of the things you had to get your head around very, very quickly was the difference between television and radio. Broadcasting or commentating a sport on radio is completely different to doing it on television. You need to respect the fact that the, the pictures tell a story, whereas on radio, you're telling the whole story. So you do need to talk about conditions and the weather and the wind and, you know, the, the seagull landing on the ground and, you know, all those sorts of things. You, you need to paint the picture and, I always found that the the art to commentary, and everybody's got their own little little you know nuances and niches. But I always found just just pretend you're talking like we're talking right now. You know, just pretend you're having a conversation. Um, radio, you have to hold the conversation more so. Television, you can let some pictures do some talking, some expressions, all that sort of stuff. Um, but don't lose sight of the fact that. You, you, you're just entertaining. At the end of the day, you, you are literally just entertaining. You're hoping that the person on the other end is sitting back feeling like they're closer to the action. They're on top of the action. They're in the middle of the action because of the way that you're bringing that action to them. And to me, that's what it's always been about. You know, try and put that person, that viewer or that listener right in the middle of the ground, right in the middle of the court, right in the middle of the racetrack, whatever it may be. Um, and if you can do that and they can experience that, um, they'll get a lot out of it. Um, the, the other difference between between radio and, and TV is also that uh, they don't know any better on radio. So even if you make a mistake, they don't know, just keep going with it. If you've missed... And that's what I actually love. I love radio the most. That That is, that is what I grew up on very, very early. And I, I do... Radio is my favourite medium, and, and it is because it's just so live and natural. Um, television, um, whilst I've enjoyed doing a lot of TV, um, it's manufactured. I mean, that's 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 you, sometimes you're live on TV and you need to be very, very mindful, but it's scripted. You know, not many shows these days. I mean, obviously there's, there's all, all your, your new age um, shows where you're stuck on an island or whatever, but um, you know a lot of it's scripted. Radio it can be so unscripted, and I love that. I love the the fact that you can speak to to listeners, and you know players might say or do the wrong thing, or it's that fascination with radio is it's just live and raw. And um, to me, that that was always that, that it's still to this day it's the one that I enjoy the most. Yeah, and also with podcasts as well, and again, the audio format is you're not so, okay, guys, we've got 10 seconds before we move on to this. Then you've got yeah. um, 
uh, 90 seconds, then it's this. Whereas, yeah, as you say, within TV, it's all very much down to the second. Um, yeah. And I remember listening to uh, one of the, Robbie commenters said, right, here's what we hear in the run-up. And you've got two different people talking in his ear while he's expected to talk, giving him two different countdowns to different things. And you're like, how does he concentrate on anything? It's amazing. So, yeah. It, it is, is the hardest. It is easily... Uh, it, Listen to me, but easily the hardest. It is the hardest um, thing to get used to in television. And um, I remember when I first got into it, every now and again, you'd be stopping and listening. And slowly but surely, you learn it. And it does become an art form. And there's some wonderful television presenters out there. You just wouldn't know that there's someone badgering them the whole time in their ear. Um, you know, if anyone watching this who's done TV, they'll know that when you're standing there in front of the camera, you have got somebody just talking to you all the time, and you've got to hear that voice and not and just keep focusing on the job at hand. And it's um, it, it's the trickiest part of the business for me. There's no doubt about that. Yep. So you've obviously doing um, the uh, that commentary, hosting events, uh, doing lots of media. How do you transition from that to sports administration? Because it's a bit of a leap. Yeah, it's a great question because probably my my first love is still my greatest love. So um, I still love doing things like this. I still love talking about sport and having conversations, and I still love going on radio and you know confront up to the TV for, for my work. And that I, I love that. And you know, last year I had the chance to actually I had to step in and commentate a couple games in the in the NBL because we um, we had uh, flights that were cancelled and, and commentators missing and I, you know I love uh, getting back and doing that stuff. I think the transition into sports administration and management um, came fairly naturally, but the hardest the hardest lessons that you learn in all of it is. There's a lot of people looking to you. There's a lot of people relying on you. There's a lot of people that, um, you know, that need to see the light at the end of the tunnel. That 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 are looking for the leadership. And it's not unlike you know making those mistakes in the commentary booth. You make mistakes in sports management as well. You can't get it right all of the time, but you try and get it right most of the time. And there's probably four, four or five really key principles that I've followed in sports management. And I think because I've stuck to those things, it has helped me um, more so get to where I am today or go through the experiences of what I've gone through. But uh, look, I'm not like anybody else, you know. I've still got a lot to learn, (laughs) a lot of things. And I try and learn off as many people around me as I possibly can. But the transition's been fun, but it's been challenging. So initially, women's basketball, is is that correct? No, actually, initially... um, you know, more around AFL, um, you know, my, my very first step into uh, sports admin whilst I was also juggling a media career was back in 1997. Um, and that was around uh, Australian rules football. Um, and then I, I continued to do um, some management, more so getting into the digital space around sport. Um, got back into basketball, a lot of management within basketball, and then I spent three years in V8 supercars. And that, that was, you know, to this day is probably where I gained a lot of my 
commercial experience. Um, V8 supercars is a commercial beast like no other sport you'll ever come across. Motorsport is about money and money only. Um, you can be the greatest athlete and the best driver. You can be the fittest. You can have the, the best vision. You can have the best reaction times. If someone sideswipes you at the first corner, your race is over. So it is very much a money-driven sport. So a lot of the commercial um, part of what I do today was born out of spending time in, in V8 supercars. It was only really in, um, I think, about 2013-14 where I was approached um, by... But I mean, it's, 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 in V8 supercars, I mean, um, again, if you look at most of the most other sports, the equipment is relatively cheap at the end of the day. Sure, there's the stadium can be expensive but in v8 supercars you've got an expensive track but then also the cars are expensive so um yeah you need a lot of capital you need a lot of um revenue to to cover those costs now can be expensive as well but it's an extra cost that other sports don't have to bear um um, we'll come back to the getting into the women's sport in a moment I, i remember um one afternoon uh, on the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast 600 in V8 supercars. And it was a time, I think it was about, uh, about 2011, 2012, and all of the main drivers, um, their co-driver was an international driver. So someone who wasn't racing in V8 supercars. And when the international drivers got behind these V8 beasts, 650 horsepower that, you know, go like the clappers, um, there was just mass carnage, huge carnage. And I remember that night um, uh, down in the pits looking at the back of the garages and all the damaged panels, all the, the bent wheels, and um, it was just unbelievable. Anyway, the next day, um, on the Sunday, we came back for, for the next day racing and the broadcast started with an approximate um, figure of damage and they said in that one race alone the damage bill across the teams was something like 1.8 million dollars one race out purely from these drivers just driving into the side of each other so yeah it's commercial sport and the big difference is you need a lot of money to go racing but you need a lot of money to keep racing yeah um but then, look, in, when I got out of V8 Supercars, which was a circus, you're away from home 20 full weeks a year. So not weekends, full weeks a year. Um, I was approached by the the guy who's still the president to this day of the Carlton Football Club in the AFL, um, Mark Laguduche. And he, um, along with a couple of other people, approached me um, to see if I'd like to... Uh, uh, be the GM of one of the WNBL teams, which is the Women's National Basketball League in Australia. And the team was the Melbourne Boomers, who um, are the most well-known uh, women's basketball team in Australian basketball history. More Olympians than anyone else, more Opals than anyone else, just a, 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 a huge um, legacy um, in, in women's basketball. And the business was rock bottom, totally shot, losing money hand over fist, bottom of the league, bottom of the pay packets for the players. It was a disaster, a basket case. And for some reason, I like challenges. And um, I said yes. And uh, 
Over the next five years, we set new crowd figure records. We went from 110 members to 3,300 members. Um, we went from a $300,000 business to a $1.5 million business. Uh, biggest crowds, most sponsors. Um, it was just a wonderful journey. Um, a huge uh, opportunity for me to grab something that was rock bottom and try and do something with it. And it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And amazing athletes. Um, you know, the women that, that, that play any sport, uh, they are just incredible role models. Great to be around. They work so, so hard. Um, and it was a pleasure to spend five years trying to reward uh, those athletes because they deserved everything they got. And, you know, our, our payroll tripled. And I loved giving more money to the players. Um, they, they're incredible ambassadors. If you've never worked with female athletes before in the world of sport, go and do it because you'll have a whole new appreciation for determination, um, you know, commitment um, and, and just the desire to be the best they possibly can. Just fantastic. Wonderful experience. And from a media point of view, they're also much more willing to talk generally as well, which is much nicer. Um. And they're good at it. I mean, they're very, very good at it. I mean, there's so many male athletes that I've interviewed in the media over the years and you, you can't get a word out of them. You, 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 it's like talking to a brick wall. Um, the, 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 the women that, that I've dealt with in sport over the years just, and so close to grassroots and understanding community and um, incredible, incredible role models. Yeah. So that means five years. That means that that came up what's towards the end of last year. So is this your first year with the NBA? Over here no, so that was so so that was through to the end of two thousand and eighteen. Eighteen, okay. The opportunity came up here, and uh, look from the first moment I heard about it when I when I was contacted about it six days later, um, signed on the dotted line, and and then the realization hit uh, my wife and I that we had just committed to move to another country. Um, it was kind of ironic at the time because I had two opportunities in front of me. One was here in New Zealand and the other one was with the Dallas Wings in um, the WNBA in, in Arlington, Texas. Um, and I'm so glad I chose this opportunity closer to, to home when, when we need to get back and see family. But it's just proven to be a wonderful opportunity. The 2019 season in the Cells NBL, was we saw extraordinary growth in everything we did. Great partners in Cells and Sky Sport and stuff. and um, Just extraordinary growth. It was, it was a lot of fun. And we had so many great plans for 2020. And, uh, you know, unlike the... Sorry, not unlike, exactly like the rest of the world, everything came to a screaming halt. So plans for this year... Um You've what I think you're planning on what about eight teams? I think it probably was because um, I think two. Yeah, seven. We've got seven teams. You've got um, seven now, but your your but your original plan was was what was, was like an eight team league over yeah. what a, a ten week or or so? Oh, probably probably sixteen weeks. Yeah, sixteen weeks. And you've had to go from that to a seven um, team, but five of the teams are the same two and two uh, and, and two new teams. Over a five week is it? Uh, so it's five six weeks, weeks, isn't it? Um, six weeks. Six weeks, right? Um, six weeks season. That's that's a lot of change, um, and also you've also decided to throw in there, or not decided, but you've also thrown in there rather than having each team on setting up their own rosters to having a draft as well. Um, 
the uh, you've obviously had a, had a few uh, uh, well, some of not a, not not like the new new system and have, have decided to to um, decide to skip this year. But you've, you've most of them you've managed, you've, you've got on board uh, and and, yeah. and 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 giving it a run. The uh, I guess how how much um, uh, what, what, what's been the biggest challenge for you to get over to get to, to make this happen? I think the biggest challenge is is right from the outset, and that is that um, we recognised right at the outbreak of this pandemic. In fact, we we brought in quarantine for all of our international players, no matter what country they were coming from, before the government did. Um, so we identified straight away that there there was going to be something big happening here. This this was going to be um, something substantial uh, in terms of change, um, not just the change to our lives. I think the change to our lives has just been a, just another whole level. But we we felt as this was unfolding early, we felt like it had the potential to change our league. Um, remembering that at that time when we made that decision, a third of our players, male and female, were currently out of the country. That's a big number. That's a huge number. So, so we got on top of... Where, where, where did those other third come from? Um, well, America, um, Australia, all around the world, and that's Kiwis as well. It's not only international players. It's Kiwis. I mean, the, the beauty about basketball is it's global sport. So we're We've got Kiwis playing all around the world, applying their trade. Um, we we recognised early that change would be needed. And when you talk about challenges, I think the greatest challenge that we've had is having everybody in our in our NBL family recognise that change was needed. The fact is that if we didn't change and adapt and come up with this new style of competition in 2020... I couldn't guarantee that 2021, the league would even exist. That's reality. We had to change our business. We had to change our thinking. And all sports are doing the same. You know, there's no sport in the world right now who is thinking normally. Normality left, left the building. It's gone. There's no such thing as normal right now in business. And sport is a business. So, look, that was our greatest challenge, just the fact that we had to um, communicate and educate um, and hold some people's hands and say, look, we're not going to be able to do what we normally did. We're not going to be able to fly around the country. We're not going to be able to afford the wages for players. We're not going to be able to afford to put what the show was going to be on anymore. Um, and that was the greatest challenge. There's no doubt about that. And, and the end result is seven teams are with us. Three teams are rebuilding their business for 2021 for different reasons, and we respect that. Um, I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to is in 2021, we're going to have 10 Cells NBL franchises, and that's amazing, incredible. The fact that we're getting on with 2020 means that we'll survive in 2021, and that's important for everyone. So, so what kind of revenue drop have you had to handle as well? It's a great question. Um, thankfully, the league is supported by partners, and our, our partnerships are such that if we put the show on, we get paid. It's right. not unlike rugby. It's not unlike netball. It's not unlike AFL. If you put the show on, you get paid. We're, we're a national sport. Um, we're, we're, not, we're not community level. We, yes, we're in, integrated with the community and we're connected to the community, but we've got deals across New Zealand and deals across the world where if we put the show on, we bring in revenue. 
that's why it was really important that we keep that coming in so we can build, rebuild for 2021 out of a much stronger position. Our teams are different though. And our teams um, on an average, compared to what their budget would have been in 2020, you're looking on average at a 90% drop in revenue, 90% plus. It's a massive, massive change to the financial landscape um, for our teams. And sport around the world is suffering the same thing. That's why it's important that, you know, any assistance that we can get um, is just vital. So in season 2020, the new competition that's been put together, um, and it's got a lot of upside to it, a lot of exciting new elements. Uh, the league, the NBL, is essentially footing 90% of the bill. It's a massive step that we're taking and a huge undertaking, but we're doing it to make sure that we're back here for 2021 and beyond. Um, and if we hadn't have done that, I can't guarantee that we would have been here. Um, the, uh, and and so, some of those um, innovation things, so... First off, it's going to be in one location um, in Auckland. Um, in Auckland, yeah. Locations, which I think is something that we're seeing also with netball and um, other 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 sports that have been talking about. But you've you're going to have them all housed um, in that one place. As far as training facilities go, have you managed to find seven different training yep. facilities then in Auckland that they can use, or, or the no? Answer? So we'll all be at the one facility, and we'll announce that facility really, really soon. Yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll have a dedicated venue where teams can train. It'll also be the same place that we play. Uh, out of this, you know, for basketball in this country, we're, we're going to have um, two games a night, prime time, five nights a week, live on Sky Sport. Now, that is amazing for basketball in this country. It's a fantastic partnership that we've got. Um, we, we are also about to announce... Uh, an offshore uh, broadcasting pay-per-view platform. So people around the world will be able to tune in and watch the Cells NBL. And at a time when there's little to no basketball and it's a global sport played in more than 230 countries with billions of fans, um, New Zealand basketball, these Kiwis, our players, are going to be seen by more people than ever before. That is amazing. And not only that, but you've got, as you say, you've got players who have got fans um, in those other countries uh, that'll want to see those players play because they've played in their local teams and have come back here as well. Uh, so there's other, yeah, there's other people you can use to promote the league outside of that to those people. Um, oh, and look, for the players, um, it's not just about fans that, that know some of the players around the world, but what, what, what a great way to put your resume forward. You know, there'll be people in basketball around the world watching these players and going, hey, hang on a second, we need to look that player up. We, we need to, hey, come and have a look at this player. I've got no doubt that there will be Kiwis that will pick up international contracts in the future based on the fact that the whole world, the only, the only you know, the only games they're going to be watching are right here in, uh, in New Zealand's NBL. It's, it's an incredible opportunity that we have and to think that we've brought this together and make it, uh, made it happen out of such a terrible situation for, for the world, um, it's something that we should all be really proud of. And the now maybe I've read this wrong, but the Saturday and Sunday games are 
going to be embedded on stuff uh, and the Tribe Sports app. So does that mean that they're free to air as opposed yep, to the yep. Week ones will be obviously on Sky? Yeah, and one of the games on Thursday night will be on Prime TV. And um, so there's a lot of free to air component as well. Um, and then obviously a lot, a lot on Sky. They're all going to be on Sky as well. Um, so they have 56 games, you know, over six weeks, 10 games a week, you know, two games a night, five nights a week. Uh, you can sit down with your family. And, and that was one of the things that I really wanted to make happen here. We need to understand that there's, you know, there's eight-year-old kids out there who are craving to get back to basketball, craving to get back to their sport. It doesn't matter if it's basketball or not. The fact that they can see their role models, you know, the big boys playing on television is a really strong message to those kids that, hey, your sport isn't far away either. You'll be back on court soon as well. And I think in the uncertain times that we've lived in, that's a really important message. So the, um, so you mentioned uh, briefly that you, that, you, that you have some connection with grassroots, uh, but um, is, is, is that... And how much do you administer the grassroots and how much is that sort of done by other sort of New Zealand basketball and how much does NBL, uh, is it just a, just a professional organisation compared to a, I say, grassroots and community organisation? Yeah, look, I think the, the grassroots connection is, for, for us in the NBL, is more born out of what our teams do in their communities. Our teams do a wonderful job in their community, players going out to schools and, and connecting with kids and um, you know, working with charities and community partners. So the community connection, that grassroots connection in our regions is more to do with the teams. Um, you know, aside from the NBL, you've got Basketball New Zealand. And Basketball New Zealand obviously does a wonderful job across the country connecting with, uh, with the community and getting people into basketball, as well as all the associations and the teams and the clubs out there as well. So my job um, for the NBL is, is you know, more about... Um, making our top league for men and women. I mean, one, one of the great tragedies at the moment of, of this COVID-19 situation is we've also had to postpone our, our women's NBL. Um, and we're working towards trying to get our women back on the court as well. You know, no disrespect to, uh, to the likes of netball. You know, netball gets a lot of funding, a lot of funding um, for, for their elite level athletes, as they should. Our elite level um, women playing basketball, you know, some of them ply their trade right around the world. Uh, the funding that comes through for women's basketball in this country, uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm an outsider coming from Australia, it has to lift. It has to pick up. Our female players are exceptional. Um, you know, again, no disrespect to other sports that are played in 15 countries. Basketball is played in 230 countries. Um, we've got to do more uh, for our rising stars in the women's game. And I, I hope we can get the NBL women back up and running in some shape or form later this year as well. Um, and, and part of that is, is down to uh, funding models that high performance sport has or high performance sport New Zealand has, which is uh, you basically have to be top 10 or, or medal prospect um, to get the funding. So that's, that, that, that's one, of the, one of the struggles is going to be trying to get that women's team all I know is uh, our men are our men are ranked around the top twenty, and um, when you're ranked around the top twenty in a field of two hundred and thirty, that's not bad. That's pretty good. Yep. There's no gold. There's no gold medal that comes with uh, you know. Um, there, there've been World Cups, you know, all the time. They're in the top sixteen in World Cups, and you don't get a medal for finishing twelfth. But when you finish twelve out of two hundred and thirty, that's a pretty good effort. 
Very true. Very true. Now, New Zealanders are not going to be used to a draft kind of situation, but you've, you're, you're putting a draft in there. Um, now, I can see how it's going to work this time because you're based in one location, so you don't have to worry about sort of people having to move home and lose their teams, which makes it easier. But it's also made it easier for, for teams like the Huskies to come on board because they can, they don't have to have a, they don't have to have sort of run an academy and feed their team in. They can just build a team from scratch um, yeah. from the draft. So it's again, it's helped uh, the, the new teams under this situation. And the situation. Um, so when are we going to see that that happen? I believe it's going to be on. You're hoping to have it sort of televised a bit in a sort of smaller version of an NBA kind of draft. Um, a, little bit smaller. <laughs> a little bit smaller. Um, yeah, it'll be broadcast. We'll have those broadcast details for everybody soon. It'll be held on um, Thursday, June 11. Um, um, player registrations are, are about to open up. Um, the, the whole premise of the draft is as we started to understand, we had to change. And again, that, that's the single biggest thing people have to get their head around. There's no more normal. So as we got our head around the fact that we had to change, what our teams were telling us was, especially for the smaller regions, they needed access to a player pool. They can't get imports in from overseas. They may not be able to access all of their local stars because of school, because we're going away for six weeks, because of full-time work. So they needed a pool of players that they could tap into. So that was the first thing. The second thing was, unlike any of the previous 38 years in this competition, Every team is putting in the same amount of money, exactly the same. There's no rich teams, poor teams, middle teams. We can spend this, we can spend that. That's gone. So every team had to be treated equally and fairly. And we also want to make sure we put on a great product. So when the viewers sit down and uh, sitting in their lounge rooms and, and watch games, they know that it's going to be competitive. They don't know who's going to win. They're engrossed in the game because they're there right to the end because it could go either way. And for us, the draft made the most sense to satisfy those things that we were trying to achieve for the teams and for the product. So we came up with the concept of the draft. And right from the start, um, Paul, we, we thought people would have a lot of interest in it. To be honest with you, since we announced it, that that interest is 10 times greater than what I thought it would be. Um, it has been off the charts. From the time we announced it um, last, um, when was it? Tuesday, um, that this is the competition and this is how it would look. By that night, before I went to sleep, I had 21 emails from people around the country asking me how they register for the draft. Even though that we'd explained there'd be a process and we'd announce it, so 21, 21 people had gone and found my email address and emailed me, showing me their CVs and I've played here and I've played there. And, um, and that was before we'd even talked about what the draft rules were or put that out publicly. And um, that, that was probably the biggest thing for me. We thought people would be interested in this unique change for one, for one year. One year, um, that interest level is tenfold what I thought it would be. It's quite amazing. So to give people an idea, there's um, 
we've got seven teams. It's ten rounds of drafting for each team. So seven. There's actually twelve. There's actually twelve rounds because the last two rounds okay. you pick. The last two rounds you pick two emergency players. If you have injury or illness, you can bring those players in. So there's actually twelve rounds. Okay, so that's uh, eighty-four players in total. Eighty-four players. And you're saying basically a quarter of that had told you within basically a couple of hours of your announcing <laughs> if they want to get involved. Um, okay, that's that's a that's pretty good interest. Um, <laughs> moving. Uh, one of the what, unique things, one of the unique things, Paul. If I think back to AFL, is and we expect this to happen. In the AFL, they have a draft every year. They've had it for twenty-five years longer, and um, they open it up to anybody. So even though there's only about 80 players selected, every year they've got like 1,500 people in this draft pool. And what's happened over the years is, you know, middle-aged blokes just register. Because you can only register once, right? They register for the draft so they can tell all their mates about that year that they were in line, you know, to be picked up by an AFL. They were no chance whatsoever. And I think that's one of the great fairy tales and pieces of nostalgia that we can actually see happening in the 2020 Cells NBL. It wouldn't surprise me if we've got a few hundred people to pick from because people are going to be able to say forever and a day, that year, that year in 2020, when the Cells NBL had a draft, I was in the draft pool. I was there to be... I didn't get selected. I just... I was. I could have been pick 85. I... I can see that happening, and I, I, I like that. I think there's a little bit of a little bit of a fairy tale connected to that. Some good conversations over a beer at a local bar happening right around uh, right around the country. Fun stuff. Um, if I see your name on that draft pool, Paul, look out. I'm, I'm thinking about it already. Um, <laughs> is there a cost to, to to enter the draft now? I've got to ask. <laughs> well, based on what I just said, it'd be good if there was. Um, no, absolutely not. No, the, the, you can you can go to the um, uh, basketball news. Sorry, the NZNBL website, NZ, NZNBL.basketball. All the details are there. You can uh, uh, get on and register. Um, registrations close on Friday, June the fifth, uh, and that's the draft pool. You know, the more people, the better. Um, it's it's league rules. You have to be fifteen or over. Um, obviously, we're talking about the um, Cells NBL men's competition here. Hope we hope we can do something for the women um, later on in the year. Um, I've got no doubt we're, we're going to uncover some some rough diamonds, and we're probably going to leave some rough diamonds behind as well. But that's okay. See, what well, all you need now is a combine as well, where people can pay can can turn up and show, and because uh, because otherwise it's just yeah proof. I, mean, I might have to put in a. Uh, I don't, don't know what your fraud challenges are like. Um, as, to, as to how many, how wild I can make my claims. Um, hey, wait, wait until I publish the phone numbers of the seven coaches and tell everyone in the draft pool to start ringing the coaches. That'll be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I can see them, yes, throwing their phones away and getting new ones uh, very quickly. Um, wow, that's oh, that sounds like fantastic. If you want to have it, um, some some more details on it, uh, the uh, limited minutes podcast. Uh, go into have gone through the details of the draft very well uh, it's a very good listen to so go have a yep. listen to them and all the draft rules um, are explained on the nzmbl.basketball website now as well so you can go on there and you can read all about um, what the rules are because the only the other interesting one is that you've got um, uh, amateur players as well in the draft because uh, some of the players are looking for looking to go over to the USA 
to play to get in uh, get college scholarships and yep. to do that they can't be professional players so it's interesting you're going to have you're going to have professional players drafted and then also a number of amateur players drafted as well who are basically the the future stars of New Zealand basketball yeah they are and the um you know, those players will sign an amateur player agreement, so so they've got uh, something to hold on to um, and hold their status. I think the other group um, that everyone is is genuinely excited about are the players that have just come home from college. Uh, there are some absolute studs, some stars uh, that have come back from college. They're ready to start their professional career. Um, in any other year, they might have been working out in NBA summer camps. They might have been headed to Europe. They're all home. They're all on home soil right now. And some of these guys are stars in the making. They are the next lot of Tall Blacks. Um, we've got a Tall Blacks uh, international window coming up in November against Australia and Hong Kong. This will be the only competition that our Kiwis get to play in before then. Uh, and the Tall Blacks coaching staff, they're going to be watching on. There's some young bucks coming up, and they want to play for the Tall Blacks, so look out. Yeah, so there's going to be some some really interesting ones. So just because someone gets drafted in the seventh round, which is sort of the last professional round for the three amateur ones, um, yeah, they might actually be one of the top players if um, because, hey, they haven't just haven't had the opportunity yet to, to show it. But um, Well, they're going to be in the top 50, aren't they? They're going to be in well, the top yeah. 50 across the country. So that's... Um, yeah, that's that's the number to it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So watch that. That's going to be a, a, a great evening. Um, I guess the only sort of complication I can see here is that some of these some of these players will have been on contracts with their clubs um, for X amount. And as you said, the with with ninety percent dropping revenue, um, they're going to get less by, through the draft because there's just there isn't the cash this year. Um, has that been all worked out with all the players um, as to how that was handled? I think it's the hardest thing, Paul, in, in world sport right now. Um, you know, I can't speak on behalf of everybody uh, in, in their own personal lives, but there, there's a lot of us, myself included, who have taken pay cuts, um, have had to step back in, in order to keep going forward. And um, in sport across the world, the same thing's happening. It was announced in Australia not that long ago when the Australian NBL players are taking 50% pay cuts. Um, they're taking more in other sports. My focus from the outset in this was what can we do um, that is financially economical um, without sinking everybody's business uh, that could get our players back to work. I, I want to have, um, you know, 84 guys going back out there and doing what they love. I want people getting back to work and earning some money. If I could pay them more or if the league could pay them more or the teams could pay them more or we could do anything, we absolutely would. It's a changed world and we're throwing everything we can um, at this competition to keep the league alive for the future. Um, you know, I read a really good quote um, out of the AFL a few weeks ago where a past player said, you know, it's up, to, it's up to today's players, this current crop, and he's talking about AFL players, to make the sacrifice in order to ensure that the game is there for future generations. And that's a hard thing to say, and it's a hard thing to do. But it is very, very true of the world that we find ourselves in right now. We have to make sacrifices. They're not easy sacrifices, but if we don't do that, whether it's sport, business, school, hygiene, social distancing, you know, contact tracing, we have to make sacrifices today 
in order to assist our future generations. And um, it's a really important job for everybody, including athletes. Absolutely. Um, and I must say, you're going to be one of, as you say, the only one of the very few basketball leagues in the country and one of the very few um, sports. In the world. In, sorry, in the world. Sorry, that's what I meant. In the world. Yeah. One of the very few sports in the country um, who are going to go live. And uh, with uh, between yourselves, um, Super Rugby and Netball, I think we're going to be pretty much up to uh, sport right. pretty much every night of the week. So thank you for getting <laughs> getting back up and running because, yeah, we are dying to, we, we are dying to, to watch to watch some sports. Um, someone, someone asked me the other day, Paul, who, who, who's responsible for this? You know, is it, is it you and the NBL and the teams? and the, the people who are responsible for the Cells NBL, for Super Rugby and the netball competition coming back are the people of New Zealand. It's as simple as that. The people of New Zealand did the hard yards. They followed government um, regulations, Ministry of Health regulations. They stayed locked up. Um, they lined up outside supermarkets. You know, they, they did everything that was asked of them. The reason we're coming back is because of the people of New Zealand. It's as simple as that. If the community hadn't have done everything they possibly could to eradicate ourselves of this virus, we wouldn't be coming back and playing. Neither would netball, neither would, would, would rugby. So who's to thank? The people of New Zealand are the people to thank. No question. So well done, everyone. For, yeah, look, it, we have had a fantastic result with that. But also, look, uh, you and the other people who have helped you organise this, um, the, the, the various clubs, um, Sky uh, and other people have also put in an awful lot of work to make this come back. So well done also to you guys. Um, thank you very much. Any other final comments? Um, otherwise, um, just uh, thank you. And actually, where, where, which, what's the best website for that information again, please? And then... Also, to uh, watch on Sky. NZNBL.basketball. Um, you know, you can at NZNBL for, for Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all those sorts of things. Um, your local team, you know, if you follow a, a sales NBL team, um, you know, have a look at, at, at their messages and what's out there as well. It's just going to ramp up over the next few weeks. The, um, you know, the interest leading into that draft is. Uh, is really unique. A lot of people are starting to strategize already and talk about pick number one and, you know, which team gets gets pick number one. And, um, again, all of those rules are currently at nznbl.basketball, so check that out. But uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's I think it's going to be good to just the chance to sit in your armchair with your family and turn the TV on. And if you're a basketball fan, watch basketball. Uh, you know, I think that that's... Um, Hopefully it brings a, it brings us back to a, a level of normality, albeit a small a small piece. But hopefully we can entertain people and get a smile back on their face. That's what we want. So hey, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you very much. And so folks, do like the page, our Facebook page, or do follow New Zealand Sports Radio on your favourite podcatcher, be that iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, because we are going to have an NBL um, specific podcast on here. I mean, discussions to have one anyway, uh, and also in discussions to have a reporter from the actual stadium um, to give us morning, uh, give us, give us recorded updates each morning uh, of reports from the games. So on well, you the might, morning, you might be playing Paul, you might be I, out I might there be playing. playing. That's true. <laughs> on, on the morning sports briefing, uh, which is out, goes out at 7am every morning. So thank you everybody. Um, and uh, stay safe and enjoy the basketball.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.